Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder and Merlot. We are a true crime book club podcast. I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Michelle. Are you excited for our first legit book club episode, Michelle? I am. I'm really, really excited to get into the nitty gritty of it with you. Me too. This is going to be a way deeper dive than the other book club episodes that we've done, and I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're finding our groove. I like it. Yeah, I'm really excited. And uh, whether people are here from our Waco series or if they read the books themselves, everybody's welcome. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, We want to make it clear that you don't have to read the books. Listen to our Waco series and listen to the book club episode in order to be a part of our book club. But by all means, if you want to do all of that, go for it. It would mean the world to us. Yeah, that would be incredible. We would love that. But however you ended up here, we appreciate it. Um, I should mention, however, if you have followed our Waco series, I may repeat some things that I've already mentioned in those episodes, but I'm going to try not to as much as possible. Also, we are covering both Waco, a survivor story by David Thibodeau and Stalling for Time by Gary Nosner in this episode. We were originally going to split them into separate episodes, but we don't want to drag it on for too long. So if you read only one book, you can check out our show notes for what times to skip to you for the book discussions. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to talk about the Waco TV show um, at the end of the podcast as well. So if you watch that, then definitely stick around. I do have yes. some, some bad news, though. Oh. <laughs> Turns out that we've been pronouncing Gary's last name wrong this whole time, even no. though we thought it was right, because I listened to the audiobook, and that's how they said it, was how we yeah. were saying it. But in the Waco series, he says Nessner. And I've watched interviews, and it's Gary Nessner. So I'm so sorry, Gary. Damn it. <laughs> we are sorry. We already corrected ourselves once, and we were wrong. <laughs> And we also briefly wanted to discuss our feedback from the Waco series, because I think it's been pretty great so far. I think so. I think we've had some good response to it. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of friends that are like, I'm not caught up, and I will listen to all of Waco all at once. So when you do, message us. Let us know what you thought. Yeah, absolutely. And it's totally fine if you haven't yet. Like, I like to wait till everything is, like, released and then just binge it. So if that's what you're doing, that's totally fine. But um, I'm also thrilled with the feedback so far. I guess I've enlightened some people on what happened in Waco that's different than what they had known about the incident in the past. So to me, that's just so incredible and encouraging that people are like reaching out to be like, oh my God, I learned so much. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. People are learning. Absolutely. Anyways, I think we can jump into it. I think so. Okay, friends, grab your glass and get cozy. Let's book club it up. Tink, tink. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Larch Hills and Marionette Winery. They are some true crime and wine fans, and they were just so lovely. Um, they both have some some of the best Merlots I've ever had. Not joking. It was amazing. I'm and- so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought a lot. Um, they had so many other delicious red and whites as well. So yeah, I'm pretty stocked up right now on wine. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, And not sponsored by the way, but I mean, we're totally open to having wineries sponsor us. Just saying. Just saying. (laughs) That would be terrible. What are you talking about? Oh, the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we are so sad about the wine. And I wanted to give a special shout out to Lori from Marionette Winery in particular. I hope I remembered your name correctly. Sorry if I didn't. I'm bad with names. 
Um, but she's actually currently reading Waco, a survivor story and stalling for time right now. Like how incredible is that? What are the chances? So random. I love it. Yeah. So it was so nice meeting you. And I'm just so thrilled that we got to talk about Waco while drinking wine. It's obviously my favorite thing to do. It's what we do. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> uh, so anyways, back on track here to our book club. Um, first, we're going to talk about Waco, a survivor story by David Thibodeau, also co-authored by Leon Whiteson and Aviva Layton. Um, so we're going to start with that one. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about stalling for time later on. Perfect. So for the first time ever, a survivor of the Waco massacre tells the inside story of the Branch Davidians, David Koresh, and what really happened at the religious compound in Texas. When he first met the man who called himself David Koresh, David Thibodeau was drumming for a rock band that was going nowhere fast. Intrigued and flustered with a stalled music career, Thibodeau gradually became a follower and moved to the Branch Davidians compound in Waco, Texas. He remained there until April 19, 1993, when the compound was stormed and burnt to the ground after a 51-day standoff. In this book, Thibodeau explores why so many people came to believe that Koresh was divinely inspired. We meet the men, women, and children of Mount Carmel. We get inside the day-to-day -day life of the community, and Thibodeau is brutally honest about himself, Koresh, and the other members, and the result is a revelatory look at life inside a cult. But Waco is just as brutally honest when it comes to dissecting the actions of the United States government. Thibodeau marshals an array of evidence, some of it never previously revealed, and proves conclusively that it was our own government that caused the Waco tragedy, including the fires. The result is a memoir that feels like a thriller, with each moment taking us closer to the eventful inferno. David Thibodeau was born and raised in Maine. He was one of only four Branch Davidians who survived the Waco, Texas massacre, who was not sentenced to prison. Over the 25 years, David has lived in Los Angeles, Austin, and currently lives in Bangor, Maine, where he continues his life as a drummer and entrepreneur. Co-author Leon Whiteson was a Zimbabwean architect turned critic and novelist. He died in 2013 at age 82. Whiteson is survived by his wife, author Aviva Layton, who has written the updated epilogue with David Thibodeau for this new edition. Aviva Layton earned a BA from Sydney University, an MA from the University of Montreal, and a PhD from York University, Toronto. She's the author of a novel, a biography, and several award-winning children's books, and is now a full-time literary editor. And before we really jump into our discussion here, I just want to apologize. Apparently, we're having a lot of background noise happening today, and it's a multitude of things, so we apologize. <laughs> I just looked out the window, and my neighbor is literally mowing his sidewalk. So I don't know why, but I'm sorry. <laughs> and then there's my husband who is listening to his phone at full blast. So I already told him to turn it down once. So let's hope that it's uh, okay after this, but uh, hopefully it's not too distracting and hopefully I can kind of edit that out a little bit. But anyways, let's chat about the physical book. But it's kind of difficult, actually, because we don't we can't have. Just the book. <laughs> I know we don't actually have the physical book of Waco, the Survivor Story. We had to listen to the audiobooks, which made things a little bit interesting. I mean, I always very difficult. Yes, I always listen to the audiobook at least first, anyways, and then I usually read through the hard copy. But couldn't really do that this time. I guess we can still discuss the 
title, cover, first impressions, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the cover out was a picture of a scene from the TV show, right? Yes. So. It was the same cover as the TV show. But I do believe, I mean, I think it was different before it was released before mm -hmm. it was the inspiration for the TV show. So it previously had yeah. a different cover, but that's not the one that we have. So I don't know what the original I, cover looked like. And I'm a total book snob and it pisses me off when they do that. Yeah. I hate when they like make a movie and then they re-release it with the movie title on it instead of the actual title of the book, the cover of the book. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I agree. And I, I would have preferred uh, a picture of the actual people involved rather than the, actor rather than the actors that, uh, that portrayed them. That's what I felt too. Yeah. I'm so happy you're a book snob too. Yeah, you know. <laughs> We're just kind of snobby people, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, any any first impressions? It's kind of a little bit difficult to give a first impression because usually I do that by viewing the book and kind of flipping through. But do you have any first impressions of, of the audiobook? My first, my first impression of the audiobook was the reader, the guy that read the audiobook. Mm -hmm. I thought he did a really good job he made me believe that he was David Koresh. Not Koresh. Not Thibodeau. David Koresh. David Thibodeau. I know what I'm talking about. I promise. But yes, I agree. I, whenever listening to an audiobook, it's kind of really important, like how the voice sounds. Like, are they convincing that they're the author? You know? And I think he did a yeah. good job. It was interesting because my mom felt the opposite. She didn't like the reader. Oh. And, and I don't know if it's because she didn't watch the TV show first. She listened to the book first and then she watched the TV show after she read both. And I wonder if her opinion would be different after watching the show. Yeah. Because the guy that portrayed him, I thought did a really good job. And then when you, when I've heard him speak, he sounds really like, like him and it just some of his mannerisms and how he spoke. I thought he did a good job, but yeah, my mom was like, I do not like this reader. And I'm like, interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> I mean, I've listened to audiobooks that are pretty much like put into a robot to read them before because I didn't want to actually pay for audiobooks. So, I mean, I'll pretty much put up with anything. <laughs> yeah. But it is nice to uh, have a reader that is, is convincing. And I, I thought I did a good job. So, yeah, agreed. So, who chose this book and why? Well, I chose this book. I was going to say, you did. <laughs> but it was because of you. You were the one that. True first um watched the Waco series on Netflix and you pestered me for so long like have you watched it yet have you watched it yet have you watched it yet and I'm like no I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to and then when I did I'm like oh my god why did yeah I yeah I'll get there? to it <laughs> tell you're crazy right and then I was don't like don't just sit there and watch tv come on <laughs> I'm like Michelle I have a shit to do <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but I see why it was so urgent because it was like, seriously, I was like, this is life changing. Oh my God. I freaked out. So then I, I honestly had intentions of doing Jonestown, but then I was like, eh, I'm so obsessed with this right now. I think we should just yeah. go with it. So eventually we made the decision that we should uh, read both the books that the TV show was based off of. And I think it was a, a good decision. Which I was listening to Morbid today and gave me a little chuckle because they were like, podcast lesson number whatever. And it's like, don't do a podcast unless you're passionate about it. Wait till you find the cases that call to you. So this case called to us and I feel that. So that's excellent. I love that advice. Yeah. It's yeah. very true. It's so much easier to talk about things when you're like, 
I know what I'm talking about. I'm passionate about this. These are my opinions rather than just reading a script. That's not fun for anybody. Right? Yeah. Or you read a book that you're not passionate about and then you write a podcast. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, we did that too. I mean, I guess that has to happen sometimes. It was interesting though. If we were like crazy obsessed about every single one that we do, then it's like probably not great for our mental health. (laughs) Probably not. It's like, oh, you need to calm down a little bit. Yes. Mm. Uh, What did you already know about the subject before reading the book? (laughs) Well, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, so sorry if we're repeating ourselves, but um, I heard much different versions of the Waco story um, from podcasts, and pretty much they told me that uh, David Crush was a crazy man that uh, made all of his followers, including a whole building full of children, commit suicide, and I was like, wow, those are the worst people ever. Who would be stupid enough to do this? And then now I'm like, oh my God, wow, that's not at all what I think anymore, so no. Did you have and the same same thoughts? I, I'd heard about Waco, Texas, just in like, I'd heard about it on TV shows and stuff. And it was like, I remember hearing about it on Bones and they're like, oh, they were at Waco, right? You know, like it's all this like hush hush stuff. And I'm like, yeah. didn't really know much about it. But then I watched the show because um, we're part of the Umberyard from Dark Boutique and the other podcast and people were talking about it in there. And I was like, all right, sign me up. So let's what got me into it. And then I got you into it. Yeah. And it's all been downhill from there. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, it's been great. Uh, Would you say this book um, slash case is overrated or underrated? I would say it's probably underrated. I think so. I think think that given what we learned about it, not many people know all the things. Totally. Right? Yeah. I would say underrated for both the book and the mm-hmm. case. Yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, it's like kind of Waco, hush, hush, like mentioned here and there. Like I found out there's a whole bunch of songs that briefly like mention Waco or um, David Koresh or something like that, just like kind of thrown in there. But like, that's pretty much it. It's not really mm-hmm. uh, a, yeah, a common thing. And then this book never would have heard of it if it wasn't for the TV series. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What did you like best about the book, Tara? I liked the perspective of the book, and I said this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because that's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> I figured that. I, I said this last episode as well, but um, it is a firsthand survivor story, and you know how much I love survivor stories. And as well, I'm just so shocked that I was able to relate to a cult follower. Like, I didn't think that would ever be possible because no. I'm – pretty damn independent. Nobody can tell me what to do. So when I was like, wow, actually we have a lot of similarities. I just found it so shocking and it was just really humanizing as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked that we got a look at not only David Thibodeau, but the other people of Mount yeah. Carmel as well. And some of their backstories to show that a lot of these people were actually quite educated and uh, they were just really normal people. And we, yeah, from all the other research or all the other Googling that I've done, there is nothing about humanizing these people. So no, that was very interesting. No, they were all culty, crazy monsters. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I said that pretty much word for word. I love the perspective that it gave to the case. And when the only narrative was typically one that was coming from the side of the government. Mm-hmm. So totally. It's going to be easy if uh, all of our opinions are exactly the same, which (laughs) they probably will be. So what did you like least about this book? 
Uh, I hate it that we didn't have a hard copy. That's the only thing I could think of. That's so true. Yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The content was fantastic, though. Um, Yes. Really, really cannot complain about that. I guess if I had to critique one thing, I would say maybe um, rather than having the final attack at the very beginning of the book, I know it was to kind of catch people and reel them in. Once I got to that actual part in the book, I really wanted those details placed there. I just felt like that part was lacking when I got to that place. I Mm -hmm. know we already heard all of that information, but like when you first heard it, you didn't know the backstory of everything. You didn't know like why it was so shocking. So I probably would have preferred it if it was in chronological order, but Mm -hmm. regardless, it was still fantastic. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have a favorite quote? And uh, do you want to explain why you chose it? (laughs) I do. I do. I'm sure I could have like listened to pretty much any part of this book and been like, ah, that's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. Um, But while I was thinking of it, I was just happened to be on one spot. And this is what I came up with. Also makes it quite a bit more difficult when it's an audio book. But I wrote, so what valid reasons apart from frustrations and impatience did the authorities at the highest level truly have for wiping us out? Hardly any it seems to me, and that is horrible. And I like it because it sums up how I feel about this incident in the simplest way possible. All of this is so complicated, but really, in the end, this happened because of frustration and impatience, and that was it. Yeah, it's a really good point. Do you have a quote? Do you? Mm. Um, and this one caught me when I was listening to it, and I remember to write it down, and I was like, <laughs> nice. excellent. Um, it was... History suggests that a cult graduates into a church if it outlives its founders. And I just loved this. Yes. Loved this. Because really, he's not wrong. He's not Mm -hmm. wrong. Every church started out exactly that way with a few people who believe in what one guy is spouting, and then it grows. Absolutely. I Oh, when I first heard that, I was totally going to write that down as well. But obviously, I forgot. But so true. Well, there's a lot of things happening in this There's book. But. So many things, but I do remember that particular moment. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was like, that's profound. Like really all of these people that we're labeling as whack jobs and crazy cult people. Mm-hmm. I mean, all religions started somewhere, right? Exactly. All churches started somewhere with yep. some guy being like, well, let me tell you a story about the book of Revelation. Exactly. I mean, really, if you're talking about the book of Revelation, you probably are a cult. I mean, it's a pretty common theme. Yeah. It's a really common book to study if you're a cult. But (laughs) honestly, I don't know anything about religion, but that is definitely a common theme I have. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. That's a great quote. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Um, What were you feeling when you read this book? (laughs) Oh, I think you know. Mm-hmm. Rage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep, a lot of rage. If you count how many times I've said rage in the last three episodes, it's going to be a lot. So yeah. I think we know what I was feeling. We should keep track. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yes. I Yeah, I had so many feels, as I'm sure everybody <laughs> knows if you listen to our Waco series. <laughs> you would know that I felt a lot of anger, frustration, and sadness. And there were times when I literally had to take a moment to pause and absorb the information and take deep breaths. 
many parts of the story hit me so hard. Like I could literally feel it in my chest. Mm -hmm. And I think if a book can do that to you, then that's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty powerful story anyways. So yes, absolutely. Um, did you like the book's length? Do you think it should have been shortened or added to or? Mm-hmm. I think the, the book's length was appropriate. It included Thibodeau's life before, during, and after the incident, which are all very important parts of the story. Um, so <laughs> everything can come together. Um, it wasn't the longest or the shortest one that we have covered. So I don't think it was bad at all, but again, like we've said a million times already, it was just difficult to find certain information for writing mm-hmm. as it was an audiobook, And it was like, I think it was 13, over 13 hours long. So yeah. when you're like, Ooh, yes, I remember he said that one thing. Then it's like, now I got to go find it. Now so find <laughs> that it. was difficult, but it's that's not, yeah. So that's, that's not something that would affect other readers though. No, so it's really only a us problem. <laughs> and if you're looking, the paper copy is back available on Amazon. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. I saw it today and I was like, yeah, that, there you are. Mm, just like, haha, here I am. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good length. Um, occasionally I thought a couple things got a bit repetitive, but I think they were important to the story enough to be repetitive. So it was fine. Yeah. Just push w- the point a little bit there. Yeah, I would agree with that. There are times that they're repeated something, but yeah, mm-hmm. again, there's just so much information and everything that sometimes you have to reiterate things. Yeah, exactly. And we've done mm-hmm. it how many times in this case? So it's fine. Oh yeah, totally. If you could hear the story from someone else's perspective, whose would you want? Uh, the FBI's, but we did. So it all worked out. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I would actually choose Steve Schneider's perspective. I think his would also be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously it's not possible as he, he died in the final siege, but uh, it would be interesting for many reasons. Um, he was David's right-hand man, of course, so he probably saw a lot more than other people would have. Um, his wife had David's child, Uh, while they never had a child themselves. And he was one of the main contacts for the FBI to negotiate with. So although Mm -hmm. he was fully committed to David's teachings, I believe he would have had a lot of internal battles going on. And as well, he was quite intelligent. So yeah, I just think it would be a a fascinating story to hear from him. And I think if we heard um, Steve Schneider's point of view, I think he probably would have been able to answer a whole bunch of those questions that we still have lingering. Yes, I totally agree. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you would like to say, oh, I want to hear David Koresh's perspective, but I was like, but you wouldn't get the truth. Uh-oh, I don't know. And I think Koresh was a whack job, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would like to mention some other perspectives you can actually find because Clive Doyle, one of the survivors, um, the one that took the role of the lay preacher for the group and remained in Waco, Texas after the incident has also Mm -hmm. written a book. So I wanted to shout that out in case anybody Mm -hmm. wanted to read it. It's called A Journey to Waco, Autobiography of a Branch Davidian. And I would definitely like to read that someday. Mm -hmm. Um, Another survivor, Joanne Vega, has shared her perspective as well. She was only six years old when she was released to the FBI two weeks into the standoff. Um, In interviews I found on YouTube, she describes remembering the initial attack, seeing blood everywhere, and seeing dead people. Uh, But she was not afraid, however, as David told them that this was going to happen. So, pretty interesting. So weird how he just 
could predict stuff like that though. Yes. Know. Yeah, That's actually I was watching a interview of David Thibodeau and he said that was, he was asked like, what is one thing that you remember about David Koresh? What is one conversation that stood out more than anything? And he said mm-hmm. was when they were working on the roof together and he said, imagine six months from now when there's going to be tanks going up and down our road. And David Thibodeau said, that is never going to happen. You're crazy. And then six months later, that's what happened. So to him, that's the thing so that really stands out more than anything. Crazy. Gave yeah. me chills. Oh my God. Oh, craziness. Um, this is a fun question. And oh. I like it. Oh my God. I'm so and sad. I'm looking forward to your answers. Um, what song does this book make you think of? Um, I have several. Okay. I have so many. Okay. <laughs> Um, many different reasons. I'll explain my reasonings behind all of them. Uh, I have Creep by Radiohead. Oh, that's mine and my husband's song. Oh, really? <laughs> that's cute. Seriously, signed the papers at our wedding to the instrumental version of Creep. I love that. I love I that a lot. It was, it was a song from 1993, and I just feel like, you know, a lot of people just had that vision of the French Canadians that they're, they're probably creeps. They're losers. They're like, what are these people? So I thought that was pretty suiting from that era. Um, My Sharona by The Knack. Uh, It was covered on the Waco TV show. They did a cover of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Which I right now sing it as My Corona. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also have Broken Down Angel by Nazareth. Nazareth is one of my favorite bands. And my dad was- Love Nazareth. They're a Christian rock group. So I don't know, I think of religious bands, rock and roll, I think Nazareth. And then one of my favorite songs is Broken Down Angel and it's kind of suiting here as well. Very cool. <laughs> I have more. <laughs> Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. You know, just- Yes, <laughs> you know. obviously. I mean, I don't think I have to explain. Um, another one, mm-hmm. Should I Stay or Should I Go Now <laughs> by The Clash. <laughs> Oh my God, let's just make a whole Spotify playlist. I I'm, am. I, I, so this is the plan. We are going to make Spotify playlist. <laughs> I was just going to do like, we were going to do one song from each of us and then just, you know, build up our playlist. But no, now I'm doing a full Waco playlist. Um, yeah, girl. <laughs> and I have one more to end it. Okay. Uh, most of all, I still believe by the call, which is what he's saying on the TV show against the FBI and oh my god I don't know that just like hit me and I was like mm, I've never been a cult and then I watched that and I was like okay Find me up. yeah <laughs> I'm coming <laughs> I'll be there in 10 I was like damn that was I don't know I just love that I'm clearly I just I love my rock and roll and it just really got yeah you do me. it really got to me I was like oh yeah I'm here for that I I can see it now I understand Yep. Yeah. I love it. So those are my songs. <laughs> I love it. That's excellent. I have one. That's okay. And it That's makes what me I laugh. told you to do. <laughs> it makes me laugh. We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. <laughs> Damn. Damn, girl. <laughs> right. I was like, yep, that's the winner. That's the winner. Okay, that's fantastic. I love this so much. This was honestly my favorite part of this whole book club thing was like the music. I could do this all day. Right? Yes. (laughs) Good job. I love that. Thank you. All right. Well, what questions do you still have? 
Um, my biggest question was how David Thibodeau just melded into Koresh's rules, right? All of the crazy, you can't have sex, you can't have drinking, you can't have any sort of fun, and he's he's a drummer in a band. I just, mm-hmm. that part for me was just a little mind-boggling, and I just would love to know why. But I think Koresh was just a really good talker. Yeah. Like, told a good story, and... Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people are, are just looking for community and somewhere that they can fit in. So yeah. you find something like that and you're kind of given the ultimatum of like, you have to fully commit or you have to get out. If you have to yeah. get out, then you're kind of back to square one and you haven't really developed at all as a human. You haven't really gotten anywhere. So yeah. And it's, it's I think hard. there'd always be that like question in your mind of what if I, what if I'd stayed? Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, mind boggling. Total concept. Yes. Well, I have a thousand questions like everybody else, but none of them are going to be answered. But, you know, I want to know what what was actually happening inside Mount Carmel. What was actually happening to those children? Did David have ill intentions with his firearms? Did he want the standoff to end in a biblical inferno? Who shot first? What was the truth? That's the biggest question. What was the truth? Who started the fires? Like... Sorry, those are the biggest questions. Yeah. Um, my other question in general would be, why was David Thibodeau only held as a material witness and not in prison like almost all of the other survivors? I just like, I know he didn't do anything, but I feel like a lot of the others didn't either and they still were able to yes. imprison them. You just asked the question that I answered for uh, the next question. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Let's get into Why it. were you only, like, why did you get out when everybody else got 40 years? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I wasn't really able to figure that out for myself. So, Michelle, what did you Google while you were reading the book? <laughs> um, I Googled pictures and videos of the siege, mm-hmm. mostly. But you answered that question? What did I Google? Yeah, you said that I answer that in the next question. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was, I missed the Google question. Oh, I was like, oh, this the is a perfect setup. <laughs> the chance to ask the author one question, what would it be? Okay. Why did you only get, yeah, sorry. Damn it. I was like, she's going to tell me the answers. I was so excited. No. Oh, okay. No. Fine. <laughs> no. Okay. Back to the googly things. <laughs> <laughs> the googly things. Um, yes. Pictures and videos of the siege, which are heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. And the commentary that goes with them is just infuriating, but... Yep. It's, um, you know... Rage. So much rage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Rage. Yes. Rage. Rage. <laughs> I definitely... I looked at a lot of pictures. A whole lot of pictures. A whole lot of um, news footage. Um, looked into the actual city of Waco. History of Branch Davidians. Obviously, all the things that I had to research for the show. Um, mm-hmm. But I also watched a lot of interviews and read about the Branch Davidians today and the survivors. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as well, of course, the cast of the the Waco series and stuff like that. You didn't start like Googling the book of Revelation though or anything, did you? I mean, I thought about it, but then I'm like, I can't (laughs) comprehend it. So why am I going to (laughs) bother? I was like, have I lost you to the dark side, Tara? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) we'll see check in with me later okay <laughs> i might do that later <laughs> back to so, the question yes yeah. yeah so if you have the chance to ask the author one question what would it be uh i would ask david thibodeau if he could go back knowing what the end result would be would he do it again and what would he have done differently Ooh, i like that mm-hmm. 
Like it's Did the fuck out of Waco, probably. <laughs> you would think, but also, I mean, it's, it's pretty moving. He had a lot of very solid relationships. He had a wife and like, you know, stepchildren. It's like, would he want but, to just completely erase the memory of them? I would want to erase the memory of the loss of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I would love to know. Yeah. And we uh, have a listener response for this one. And my favorite thing I think right now is that you wrote down Mama Phyllis. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I just referred <laughs> to her. I love it. Mama Phyllis. <laughs> mama Phyllis. So that's my mama. Mm-hmm. Um, mom's response was, why would you not leave earlier? Mm-hmm. Which is a good question. Like, why would you wait till the very end yes. to leave? Totally. I mean... It's so difficult. I have that question too, but at the same time, it's like, would I, would I leave? Because there's people out there that might shoot me down the moment I walk out the door. True. There's but I people... mean, I think after day two of Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walking, I'd want to get out. You're like, okay, I'm done. I can't deal. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> These boots were made for walking and I'm getting the fuck out. I'm walking out. <laughs> Uh, oh, we should add that song to our playlist. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have to put that on there a couple times, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. Repetitively. Yeah. Like, Repetitively. <laughs> yeah, every other song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, what would you rate this book? Um, we don't really have an actual rating system, but I'm using the rating system of a friend from college. He rates everything in cats. So I have 10 out of 10 cats. <laughs> love it. Yes. I, I love the book. I have no, um, I don't know. I don't want, I don't like giving 10 out of 10s, but it's just like, ah, I just, I did really love it that much. So um, I gave it a nine out of 10 because mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 is going to be like, it's going to be big, right? Like to me, this is big. This right. Well, baby. this is big. Yeah. This is your baby, but yes. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Would I rate it higher than the stranger beside me? I don't know. I don't, uh, know. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out when we cover that. I'll have read the stranger beside me, and I'll give you my rating. Yeah. That will be intense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we might have to take some time, and before we get to that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. do some other fun things in between. Yeah. Waco and Ted Bundy. That would be. <laughs> That'd be hard. <laughs> yeah. We'll do Ted Bundy in the winter time when we got lots of time. We got nothing else to do. Minus 40. Just going to cuddle up with the stranger beside me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I love it. I don't think about it. Uh, nope. I love it. Would you recommend this book to others? Absolutely. 100%. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. People ask me what I'm reading and I'm like, go read a survivor story from yeah, Waco. Like, totally. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> eye-opening. I think it's important um, with any situation. You have to take in all sides of the story. So mm-hmm. this is definitely a side that should be more well-known. Yes. Agreed. Anything else you wanted to mention about David Thibodeau before moving on? Yeah. I have a couple things that uh, you know I didn't put in the Waco series and I haven't mentioned yet here. Uh, a couple things I found interesting. I like when he talked in his book after Waco and his interviews and how the press and the media treated him. A lot of Mm -hmm. times he would go on shows and they would really spin the story, spin what he was saying. And it was really hard to actually get his story out there. One Mm -hmm. in particular was Maury Povich. Uh, He did, (laughs) 
he did them dirty. He was not uh, mm-hmm. a good representative <laughs> of Waco. Terrible to them. Yes. Yeah, so they had planted actors in the audience to shout out things during the program. It was all very scripted. They were trying to force David Thibodeau to get up and say certain things because um, he actually wasn't on the show. He didn't want to do the interview at that point because he knew how it was going to go. But his mother mm-hmm. did the show and she was getting booed on the stage. And it was just... Uh, oh, poor it woman. It sounded so terrible, but that's how the media treated them. Well, really, up until I think this 25 years later when the Waco TV series came out, that's how they have been treated exactly. the whole time. But now yeah. it's like, hey look at this. This is actually what's been happening. So, And then as well, because nobody would really take their side of the story, there was only really certain people that they could talk to and advocate with afterwards. So mm-hmm. he ended up speaking to a lot of people that he might not have normally agreed with. It was mostly people on the far right, but they were ones mm-hmm. that would actually listen to their story and not twist it mm-hmm. and actually... Mm-hmm. agree with him and fight for him so I thought that was interesting that not the people that he thought he would be you know trying to battle this with but that's kind mm-hmm. of where he ended up mm-hmm. and then also at the very end they added in a little bit about him working on the Waco TV show visiting the new Mount Carmel that they had constructed for it mm-hmm. he said it was very very accurate it was really really interesting going back there and working with the actors um, and all of that so I thought yes. it was really cool to include it. I really love that part of the book. And I love that he read that. It was his voice that was talking about that. And I loved that. And I was like, I it, it just felt, it made it that much more real. And I, I really appreciated that he yeah. put, put the time to record that for the audiobook. Absolutely. Yeah, that got to me. But um, we'll yeah. talk more about the, the show at the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're changing gears now as we are going to start talking about Stalling for Time, My Life as an FBI Hostage Negotiator by Gary Nessner. <laughs> so this does discuss the Waco incident, but uh, many other cases as well. So it's not just me. Mm-hmm. So the synopsis. In Stalling for Time, the FBI's chief hostage negotiator takes readers on a harrowing tour through many of the most famous hostage crises in history of the modern FBI, including the siege at Waco, the Montana Freeman standoff, and the DC sniper attacks. Having helped develop the FBI's nonviolent communication techniques for achieving peaceful outcomes in tense situations, Gary Nessner offers a candid, fascinating look back at his years as an innovator in the ranks of the Bureau and a pioneer on the front lines. Whether vividly recounting showdowns with the Radical Republic of Texas militia or clashes with colleagues and superiors that expose the internal politics of Americans' premier law enforcement agency, Stalling for Time crackles with insight and breathtaking suspense, case by case, minute by minute. It's a behind-the-scenes view of a visionary crime fighter in action. About the author, Gary Nessner retired from the FBI in 2003 following a 30-year career as an investigator, instructor, and negotiator. An FBI hostage negotiator for 23 years of his career, he spent 10 years as the Bureau's chief negotiator. Following his retirement from the FBI, he became a senior vice president with Control Risks, an international consultancy. Nesner? Is it Nesner? Nesner. Nesner has appeared on numerous television documentaries produced by A&E, The History Channel, Discovery, TLC, and National Geographic. He is the founder of the National Council of Negotiation Associations, which represents about 18 organizations and thousands of law enforcement negotiators nationwide. Nationwide. (laughs) 
<laughs> he speaks at a law enforcement and corporate events and continues to consult part-time. All right. So this time we can actually discuss the physical book here because we have. Yeah. One. Yeah. So that's fantastic. So yeah. Title, cover, feels, first impressions, all that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts? Um, I really liked it. I'm just going to look at it again here because it's mm-hmm. sitting, sitting right beside me. Um, on the cover, they have a picture of the Waco compound in flames and it's just black. It's thin little book. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I like that they put that on there because it's a big, big part of it. And it's just, yeah, it was easy to read, easy to hold, easy to flip through when I was looking for stuff. Didn't fall on my face when I was reading, you know. Oh, yeah. Super easy to find information mm-hmm. in there. It was really, really yeah. helpful for actually writing the show. But yeah. um, I also liked that um, each chapter was pretty much a different case, which was really cool. I really enjoyed that as well. And yeah. the chapter names really gave you an idea as to what yes. was happening. That's what I was going to say. I really liked the chapter names. And then um, they were also accompanied by a quote from a political figure, a philosopher, writer, historian, or some type of influential person. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the quotes that went along with it just really did a really good job of um, explaining what was to come next. Yes, I liked that. Mm-hmm. And then we already discussed who chose the book. It was me. (laughs) Yes. And we really couldn't read one without the other. So no, definitely have to take in both sides of the story. Unlike Mm -hmm. a lot of other people that have um, tackled this case. Just saying. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously we already said that we knew before. So yes. However, with so many other cases in here, I was really surprised that I didn't know hardly any of them. I know. It's very interesting. They were all just like, oh my God, these are insane. How have I never heard of them before? But um, just but definitely kept me turning the page for sure. Definitely. I thought it really showed that the negotiators must have been doing their jobs well in most of the cases because they didn't. We blow never up. heard about it. Yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. blow up like Waco did. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I guess that's the point of it is they did their job. They kept the situation under control. So that's why it's not huge, huge exactly. news, like other cases. Yeah. Uh, Did you think this book was overrated or underrated? Again, underrated. I think not enough people have read it. (laughs) Yep, I would agree. (laughs) Excellent. Um, What did you like best about this book? Um, I loved the insight into the inner workings of the FBI and cases that aren't well known. Absolutely. Like we said. You? I have a long-winded response, so bear with me. Um, it probably touches on what you just said as well. But I like that we were um, not only able to hear about all of these insane stories, but we were able to hear them from the person that was directly negotiating with the perpetrators. That's such a fascinating, again, perspective. It's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary explains what negotiating means and how it is conducted, which I also find so fascinating because I think Uh, We tend to use these tactics in everyday life or at work, and we don't even realize it. Um, There were a few cases that stood out to me the most, other than Waco, of course. Um, The first one being Charlie Leaf in Sperryville, Virginia, and that was the one who had abducted his estranged former common-law wife, Cheryl, and his young son, little Charlie. And in this case, Gary had to make the extremely difficult and rare decision to recommend luring Charlie out and having him be shot by a sniper. I found that that situation was super interesting because in order for that plan to work, Gary had to establish a bond and trust with the abductor so that he could be killed. That was one of my favorite cases in the book because it was like, 
I couldn't imagine being calm, making that decision, Mm -hmm. knowing that there's a sniper going to take out this guy who's carrying his child on his back. And that was going to be the best result at the end of the day. And knowing that and being able to make that call. Yeah, exactly. And being able to still talk to the guy completely calmly and being like, I know you're going to die, but like, I'm not going to let you know that. So don't kill my helicopter pilot friend. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. The other case that really struck me the most was the DC sniper attacks. Mm. Absolutely terrifying. Oh my God. And again, that was another one of those cases that I've heard mention of, but didn't know anything about. Not the details. Yeah. So people living their ordinary lives, getting groceries or fueling their vehicles. And for no reason, they are shot by an unseen sniper. Like, this is why I have anxiety (laughs) is because of things like like this. TV shit right there. Oh my God. And so in the end, it was discovered that two men that were responsible had the idea to shoot people at random and then shoot one of their wives in the same fashion so the murder was not traced back to them. Case box. Sick. That reminds me of the Exeteran murders in Washington in the 1980s. Yes. Where, yeah, they killed the husband with cyanide, or was it the husband or the mistress or whatever? Anyways, killed somebody with cyanide, but then also planted cyanide in Exeteran pills in a, a pharmacy or on the shelf. Yeah. So somebody else died as well, so that it looked like a random, random attack. Yeah. yeah. Those are my Loved favorite parts. That. I had a lot of favorite parts, apparently. <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff in this book. What about your thing that you liked the least? Yeah, that's hard because it's Gary Nessner's story to tell, so I can't really tell him to tell the story any differently. Um, yeah. If I had to choose something, I guess I would say that a little bit more focus on Waco would have been nice um, since the cover of the book, the reviews, the synopsis, it all talks about Waco, but it was actually only just one chapter long. And I actually counted mm-hmm. on, my, on the outside of my book, Waco was mentioned in six different places. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just did kind of expect in the beginning to hear Mm. more about Waco, but I I mean, I understand why it wasn't a bigger part of it. Yeah, I think if it was a specific book written about Waco, then yes, but I think he was just... Yes. And this is his life as a hostage negotiator. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I I completely understand why it wasn't a bigger part of the book, but just with Mm. how it was um, shown, it just, I guess, was a little bit surprising. Yes. And there wasn't much I disliked. I no. just, I really, really enjoyed this book. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite quote from the book? And would you like to explain why you chose it? Yes. Um, the quote is, how could this have ended so badly? I was mostly angry at Koresh and the senseless waste of life he had ordered. But I was also mad that the FBI had not handled this as well as I knew that we could have. And I don't think I have to explain that very much because it just shows how frustrated he was when everything came down to it. If the FBI tactical officers had listened to the negotiators, things could have ended differently. Mm-hmm. Things could have ended differently if David Koresh had just left that building when he said he was going to. Mm-hmm. Totally. But this is yeah. another situation where we have the same brain and it's so crazy. I didn't actually put that as my quote, but I had written it down to include in my uh, last Waco episode, but then for whatever reason, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll take it out. And I actually, I had it at the very bottom of my script though from the last one to put as my quote here, but obviously I forgot. So very strange that 
both of your quotes for both books. So funny. I was like, oh, yeah, I was going to do that as my quote. Well, and I was a little worried. I was like, we're going to get the same things. Like our yeah. brains work so much the same. <laughs> Seriously. When you were saying songs for the last one, I was like, don't say Billy Joel. Don't say Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's kind of creepy sometimes. Yes. What, what quote did you choose? I have actually two quotes to share. Um, first one is not actually a quote from the author, but it's from Mark Twain as it introduces chapter one. It says, time cools time clarifies. No mood can be maintained quite unaltered through the course of hours. So I really like this quote because it complements the title Stalling for Time so well. Love it. Mm -hmm. And then my second quote is from Gary Nessner. We all need to be good listeners and learn to demonstrate our empathy and understanding of the problems, needs, and issues of others. Only then we can hope to influence their behavior in a positive way. You might even say that all of life is a negotiation. And I love that. I love that so much because I think I use that. I love day. that so much because when I read that, I was like, wow, Tara and I are hostage negotiators. <laughs> totally. I'm like, I right? use this every day. All the time. And mm -hmm. I think more people should. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's many situations that I observe that I'm like, if you just added this, if you think of their perspective, you could have a different outcome here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Currently, I'm just um, negotiating the little hostages that I created myself, but you know. <laughs> but that's also, I thought of that as well. Not that I'm a parent, but like it's something that you would use in, in situations. I definitely like have. Yeah. Totally. Definitely have. Yeah. I was not a very good hostage negotiator today. Well, that's But okay. it was hot and everybody was cranky, so. Fair enough. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. What were you feeling when you read this book, Tara? Well, of course, during the Ruby Ridge and the Waco section, I was feeling frustrated, um, especially as Gary explained how the negotiators were unable to communicate effectively with their other halves, the <laughs> hostage rescue team. Like, it's just incredibly <laughs> frustrating. I can't even imagine. Um, but mm -hmm. in the other cases, though, I was, I was astonished by the situations that the negotiators have to deal with and their ability to keep their cool and then immediately move on to the next one like one stressful event to the next. That takes incredible mental strength and you really have to be a certain type of individual to do that kind of work. Um, these situations are the most intense and fragile situations and any wrong move could shatter all of their hard work and could cost people their lives. So just felt like so astonished, like I said. Fascinated. Yeah, totally fascinated. fascinated. That's how I felt. Fascinated and frustrated was what I wrote because you just summed it up so well. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much the vibe. Yeah. What did you think about the book's length? Would you have shortened it or added to it at all? I really liked the length of it, um, especially because we were reading it as a second part to the other one. I liked that I didn't have to be committed to some like 500 page novella about the inner workings of the FBI. I really liked that he was like, this is this case. This is what I did. Then I moved on to this case. This is what I did. Then I moved on to this case. Like I really appreciated just how put together it was. And mm -hmm. I thought it was perfect length. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Pretty much said the same thing as you. It was, it was nice and concise. It didn't bog you down with all the details. And I, I even mentioned, especially when you're pairing it with Waco, this fiber story, it would be too much if it was that detailed on both sides. Mm -hmm. so, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It was a great length. Worked really well as a nice companion to the survivor story. Certainly. If you could hear the story from someone else's perspective, who would you want to hear? I said, it's no one else's story to tell. That's what I said. Well, there you go. <laughs> I said, there's no, no way that you could answer that because, yeah, he's the lead hostage negotiator from the FBI. Exactly. There's, <laughs> I don't think there's any other, there's no other agent or anything that I wanted to hear from in the Waco case or any of the cases. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't want to hear from the hostage mm-hmm. negotiators. <laughs> yeah. Because I've heard their side of the story. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Our favorite question. What song does this book make you think of? So the one I picked out is One Step Closer by Linkin Park. Because I just like that it's like you're one step closer to the edge and you're just like walking on that, that edge. You're about to break, but it's very much that, that fine line of negotiating and it's Linkin Park and I love Linkin Park. So. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's a really good one. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. have a what few. About you? I don't have as many as last time, but I have a few. Um, most of them are just based off of Gary Nessner himself and just watching him in interviews. Mm-hmm. And he just seems like the nicest, like loveliest person ever. And I just feel like I just know him. And so I'm just like, when I think of him and I think of music, like literally my thoughts were he would like do set George Thorogood, Bob Seger and CCR. I don't know why I thought this. Love I was just it. like, I feel like that's, that would be his jam. And I don't know. him. Vibin, I love it. But that's, that's what I decided about him. So I picked um, a song from each of those artists. So I got Beautiful. Mama Let Him Play by Doucette. And that's just because I think he would enjoy it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Get a Haircut by George Thorogood, you know? Yes. Get a haircut, get a real job, maybe. (laughs) Might have thought that a couple times about David Koresh, maybe. Like, come on, man. Just clean your act up. (laughs) Don't be as Get a real job. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Old time rock and roll, Bob Seger, you know, just that kind of vibe. Classic. Just classic. And then I think my favorite one for the situation was Bad Moon Rising by, by CCR, by Creedence Clearwater Revival. That just gave me goosebumps. Bad Moon Rising is one of my favorite CCR songs, but that's yeah. just totally fitting. It's like, you know, something's coming. Something bad is coming. Something bad's coming. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah. that is. I totally really... just got chills and in like 900 degrees. <laughs> I did too, actually. It kind of cooled me down a little. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the one that really stands out the most to me, I think. Yes. What questions do you still have? Um, I, I have a couple questions, not quite as many as from the other one, because we already talked about the Waco questions. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, was there anything that he could have done differently to change the outcome of Waco? I really don't think so, but it's something, something to consider. Um, mm-hmm. Did the Waco incident change how he approached negotiating in the future? And uh, what was the most difficult case or decision he had to face? He's had to face if it wasn't Waco, which what other one would be the most difficult one? Uh, same vibe. <laughs> I figured that's why you're laughing at me. <laughs> um, I had said, I wanted to ask him, does anyone actually know the truth as to what happened in Waco? Mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't know, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one would have been what was the most difficult case? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm I sure. Can... I'm sure there's a lot, but yeah, there's got to be one that stands out. Yes, it's probably freaking Waco. 
probably. I mean, I can't even imagine like just picturing him watching it on the TV, just being like, how did this happen? And just how he described it in the book when he was like, I walked out of the FBI building that day and I didn't come back for the rest of the day. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's probably a good choice. But the very next day he had to go to a, it was a prison hostage. Prison. Yeah. Situation. So I was like, oh my God, how do you bounce back from that? It's insane and incredible. And I would imagine that there's probably some level of PTSD on his part going into a situation. Yeah. Like that again. again? Totally. I do have, I guess, one more question. If I had to choose one question to ask the author above the other ones, I would ask, um, since meeting and spending time with David Thibodeau, has your views of the Branch Davidians and David Koresh changed at all? Ooh, good one. It's like the sweetest thing to see pictures of those two together. I always got teary. I was like, oh, it's so sweet. So I just... I would really like to know what their relationship is actually like and if that changed his perspective. Yeah. Not that he had a really a bad perspective on them, but maybe a little bit more insight that maybe he wouldn't have known. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And then we had a listener response. Oh, Mama Phyllis. <laughs> totally going to call her that from now on. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, she wanted to know, how did you keep it together when you were in the middle of the worst lack of communication trying to make things go the best way possible. Seriously. And for reals. How? (laughs) How? And like, dudes punch dudes, right? Like, I feel like there would be like FBI agents just punching each other over that. And I feel like they probably would have figured their shit out, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But seriously, like, you gotta talk to each other. Smash their head into a wall, maybe? (laughs) Right. Um, and did you, how many, I was going to say, how many cats did you, uh, rate this one? Uh, I had nine out of 10 cats. <laughs> nine out of 10 cats. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Nine out of 10 cats. Uh-huh. Perfect. Perfect. That's fantastic. Uh, would you recommend this book to others? Absolutely. Of course. <laughs> it actually kind of made me think of Criminal Minds a little bit. That totally. One of my Loved favorite mind. shows. I, I was late to school literally every day (laughs) one of my semesters because I had a spare in the morning so I would go to my granny's watch Criminal Minds but it just overlapped a little bit with my class so it was like well I I I have to watch the end I can't just walk away now so can't not I was late literally every day because of Criminal Minds that's your teachers loved you oh (laughs) oh, you have no idea (laughs) yes so I love it and we skipped a question. We oh, jumped yes. it somehow. Um, right. What did you Google while you were reading the book? Yes, what did I Google? Um, I Googled his his interviews and his pictures with David Thibodeau, like I said, and uh, the other mm-hmm. Waco TV cast. I thought it was pretty cool that he mm-hmm. traveled around mm-hmm. and did interviews with them as a group. Mm-hmm. That was really, yeah. really interesting to watch. Um, I also Googled more about the DC sniper attacks because like, oh my God, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah. I Googled a lot of the cases actually, the ones that weren't well talked about and yeah. the the Freeman standoff, the DC sniper attack, the prison. Yeah. There, I think there's two yeah. prison ones I want to say. Yeah. There was there were so many cases. I actually, I would enjoy going back through the book and actually googling each one of them <laughs> yeah that'd be really I, interesting i do like to put um like pictures and faces to the story so i can really mm-hmm. understand it better yes and we were gonna wrap up the stalling for time with um any listener answers and we have one more listener response 
good old Mama Phyllis. Our number one fan. <laughs> number one fan, Mama Phyllis. Um, she said her feelings when reading both of these books was frustration. Installing for time, I just wanted all of the agencies to work together instead of cross-purposes. In a survivor story, I wanted the writer to see the reality of the situations and get the heck out of there. Totally. Pretty oh, well. Mommy, you're so up. cute. Thumbs up my feelings as well. GFO, get the fuck out. Right? Get the heck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so then questions about both of the books. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about the differences in facts between the two books? Um, I found both kind of frustrating, the differences in the details. And we talked about it in the last episode, how um, about who started the fire? Was there actually a plan for them to start the fire, accelerants on their clothes, whatever? Or was it just an accident because of the lanterns? So right. it was really, again, frustrating. I just want to know the truth. I know. <laughs> it's so difficult. And I touched on the fire thing too. Like in Nessner's book, he said that there was lighter fluids on the survivor's clothing. Thibodeau said, well, yeah, we have lanterns and all of that kind of stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. things contradicted each other. Um, there's times when they're like, Steve Schneider said this was happening, but he told the other one that this was happening. It's just like, how are these so like opposite? I know. And my other thought was maybe David Thibodeau wasn't privy to all of that Mm -hmm. information, right? Because he wasn't Koresh's right-hand man. He was just Thibodeau as they call him, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and he was Koresh's scapegoat for his illegal marriage baby with Michelle and all of those things. But was he allowed to know all the details? Was there a plan to start a fire? I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. Exactly. And that's funny because I also said that as well. I said David Thibodeau may not have been on the inside circle of Crash, so he might not have uh, known about all the things that were happening. And then yeah. on the other side, on the FBI side, um, I kind of mentioned this in the Waco series as well, but Gary Nessner wasn't at Mount Carmel for the initial attack. Some of the standoff and the fire. So some of his information mm-hmm. also isn't direct either. So for both exactly. sides, it's kind of like they're kind of taking from other sources. So mm-hmm. it's just something to and, consider. And trusting the other sources, right? Yes. So yeah, exactly. So and who are, who are you trusting at that point, really? Well, exactly. It's it's really hard to know who to trust. <laughs> yes. How do you think the Waco TV series compared to the books? I thought it was incredible. I think it's an incredible mm-hmm. production. Um, I watched it, and then I read the books, and then I watched it again, which was mm-hmm. great. It was so fun mm-hmm. to do that. I highly recommend it for anybody, <laughs> anybody to do that, because then you like really pick up on the the little details, like oh, that's mm-hmm. from the book, oh, that's slightly changed. Of course, there was um, some things that were different, like timelines were changed, details that um, are missed, but they only had six episodes to work with, so of course they have to right. speed some parts up omit some things entirely. Um, an example would be how they met David Thibodeau. Um, in yes. The- that part <laughs> bugged me. <laughs> it appeared that they just... Like, that is not where you met. Nope. <laughs> it appeared that they just met at a local bar before a gig and their drummer backed out. So then they asked this other guy to play with them. But they actually met in Hollywood at a music shop. Mm-hmm. So it was a totally different circumstance. But if they were to 
show that side of the story, like it would have taken quite a long time to establish all of that. So I mm-hmm. understand why things like that had to be changed. Yes. The one part that I liked the perspective that they portrayed, but I, there's not much touched on it in the book, was Steve Schneider's anger towards Koresh when he found out about his wife's pregnancy with Koresh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? I noticed that as well. That they didn't really talk about that as much in the books. So it's like, yeah. It was- yeah. So how much of that was accurate in his feelings? Or was he happy to let his wife produce a child of God with Koresh or... Right. Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. We likely won't really know. No. Oh, I really liked um, after reading Gary Nessner's book and then listening to him talk in the series is mm-hmm. they would sprinkle in like stories of like, how he started off as an FBI agent, like how he got into that career and just things in his general conversation with people, he would just sprinkle in like parts from Mm -hmm. the book. And it was so fascinating or like, oh, I worked on this one case and he would reference a case that he talked about in the book. And I thought that was just so clever. Yes. The whole thing was just really well done, obviously, because it captured us both, made us want to read two books, Mm -hmm. write a three-part podcast on it. Yes. Plus Do a big old some. book discussion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the multiple messages that have happened about Waco between the two of us, you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was casted beautifully, I think. I think everybody yes. parts really well. And watching the interviews, they really talked about like how they got into that character, you know, how they kind of figured out who this person would have been. I thought it was really interesting. And then it mm-hmm. was cool to see them talk about like what they did to get into that mindset and then kind of bounce it off of David Thibodeau to be like, is Mm -hmm. that right? Is that correct? Am I trying this correctly? And he's like, oh yeah, spot on. That's, that's Mm -hmm. exactly right. So that was really interesting. Yes. Um, My very favorite part of the show, I think now that I didn't catch on the first time I watched it, of course, is the very, Mm -hmm. pretty much the very last scene when they're in going to court. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Where yeah, where Thibodeau's sitting down and then, he, and then Gary Nessner walks through and then Gary Nessner gets called into the court. Yeah. Do you know about that? Have you heard more about that scene? No. You should go back and watch it because sitting beside David Thibodeau, the actor, is the mm-hmm. real David Thibodeau. No. Yes. So he's sitting beside him on the bench in the final scene. And then the person that comes out of the court to call Gary Nessner to come do his testimony is Gary Nessner. Shut up. It is. You have to go back and watch it. I'm going to go watch it like tonight. It gave me chills. I was like, oh my God. I these are the- that. Yeah, these are the real people. So it's the second last scene in the Waco series if that happens. Oh, that's so cool. I know. I was like, oh, that is perfect. And I would have never known if I didn't go back and watch it the second time. And also oh, cool. as well watch all the interviews, do all the deep diving, all those things. I would have never known. Fascinating. Such a great, great touch. I loved it. So cool. I know. Chills. Amazing. Love it. That's all I got. I think, I can't believe that I'm saying it, but I think we might be done Waco. We're we're done Waco. Well, we might do a little bit something else, but it's not actually about Waco. Waco has a hand in it. But Waco itself, I think for now... I think Tara might actually be able to get some sleep. I know. <laughs> After last episode, I'm like, yep, I'm putting it down. I'm not thinking about it anymore. But it's like, no. I and you didn't. Have... Yeah, I didn't. No. <laughs> you didn't. The book club episode, of course. So now I can shut my brain off. Yes. <laughs> For a little while. And, you know, pick up that other book. 
Yes, I'm very excited about it. Yes. Excellent. Well, make sure to answer our questions as well if you read along. Also, let us know if you have any feedback or what you think about the episode. You can email us at murderedmerlot at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at Murder Merlot Podcast, Facebook at Murder and Merlot Podcast, and Twitter at Murder and Merlot One. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. We would love if you subscribed, and if you don't, you're dead to me. Yeah, and next episode, we're doing a special mini episode that was a result of the Waco case that is a separate case entirely. If you know, you know. You won't want to miss it. Well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty heavy, but... Girl, you don't even know. I don't even know, but... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the details, but what I do know is it's going to be heavy. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm yeah. still looking forward to it in a, I don't know why I like this stuff. <laughs> We're broken. It's fine. <laughs> We're broken. Um, and of course, our next book is Labyrinth by Randall Sullivan. So if you're interested in the murder, the murder investigation of Tupac Shakur and Notorious B.I.G. and the origins of the L.A. police scandal, go pick up this book and start reading. Or just wait patiently and we will give you all the details you need to know. Michelle will be taking on that case, and I can't wait to sit back and hear all about it, and I hope you guys will join me. Yay. Remember to drink wine. Because it's not good to keep things bottled up. Bye. Bye. Why do I swear that part? (laughs) (laughs) Because you're drunk. It's fine. It's because I had the wine.